This morning we have a unique opportunity. We're going to step aside from our study of Matthew for just a little bit of a break. In fact, it'll be a two-week break. David Morris will be back preaching next Sunday, finishing out his study of Jonah. And so we started Jonah a couple months ago. If you missed that first sermon on Jonah, please go to the website, call the office. If you're not a website person, get the CD. We have those things available for you. And uh, we can... Uh, we want you to take advantage of it fully. I'm excited about that next week. We'll come back then the third week to Matthew and close out, and then we'll head into Christmas. Amazingly, uh, some of you already have trees up. You are listening to this music. My radio has been taken over by it. Um, that's coming, and uh, I'm on the slow side. David's on the fast side. When can we sing Christmas songs? And so if, if you're that way, he's your guy. Um, you can try. Uh, and we'll work together on that. Okay, so that's the plan. And this morning, we're going to spend time focusing on Thanksgiving, on gratitude, which is presented to us by our culture as an opportunity to have a day set apart, uh, to remember it's a heritage that we enjoy in our country. It's a testimony to the very first people in our country and their priorities as they set aside time to devote themselves to gratitude in the years past, if you've been here for the two Thanksgivings that we've celebrated at Grace Church, our theme has been gratitude is habitual for the Christian. It's not a holiday. And we're going to come back to that theme this morning. Habitual Christian gratitude is grounded in the character of the saving God toward desperate sinners. Really, if we're going to boil down gratitude in the Christian life and in the Christian experience, it always is grounded or foundation is always centered on the character of God. This week on the Internet, on one of the um, most popular Internet sites that there there is today, uh, Facebook, many people undertook at least I noticed this week, and I think some have been doing this since the beginning of November, to have every single day something posted on their space. And if this is beyond you, that's okay. You'll get the idea. Uh, to post something, to write some, type it up as something that they're grateful for. And so I have many, many friends who were doing this, and I kept seeing the different uh, statements of gratitude. And sadly, in those statements of gratitude, there was lacking the foundational element of who we're thanking and, and why we experience with gratitude what we experience. Now, we're mindful as Christians, maybe sometimes we want to press it aside, but we're mindful of texts that say, be thankful in everything. And when Paul says that in 1 Thessalonians, he's speaking of every circumstance. He's not saying to go to your storage unit, the things that you don't use, go to your garage and look around and every one of them be able to go on Facebook and post, I'm thankful for that bicycle that desperately needs me to ride it. I'm thankful for this, 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 because I'm thankful in everything. Surely, Gratitude ought to flow for possessions. But Paul's intention is that the Christian experience of gratitude, because it is grounded in the character of God, extends to every circumstance. 
Our New Testament commands gratitude. In Ephesians chapter 5, verses 18 through 21, we find, And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. And here's what spiritual living in the church looks like. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. All right, so spiritual living within the body of Christ includes you singing songs to each other. That's what we've done. As we've worshipped God with our voices through song, we have addressed one another. Paul goes on, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And the final trait is submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So there are three marks in Ephesians 5 of the spiritual life. One is singing. The second one is gratitude. And the third one is submission to one another within the body. This is actually the life of the local church. This is the way we can know if the Holy Spirit is having His way in our midst. Are we singing and addressing one another? And are we showing gratitude always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ? 1 Thessalonians 5, 16, 18, which is what I mentioned a moment ago, is probably the most familiar. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. And this is the heavenly reality as well. As the Apostle John on the Isle of Patmos received the vision of heaven, of eternity, and he wrote it down in Revelation, the book of Revelation, chapter 11, verses 17 through 19. This is what is happening around the throne. The 24 elders around the throne that John sees are saying, We give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, who is and who was for you have taken your great power and begun to reign. And so we are commanded to gratitude. It is the fruit of the Spirit for us to have gratitude. And it will be our heavenly experience to join the chorus of gratitude. And so why is it that we struggle so much to live with gratitude? Why is it that at Thanksgiving and when we get little cards in our bulletin and at our table tonight at our meal why is it that we don't overflow the card why is it that we don't grab 10 cards and think man if i had 20 if i had 50 i could spend all day writing down cards based in the character of god and his saving work toward me a sinner. Why is it? Why do we struggle with what we're commanded to? What is an obvious fruit of the spirit in us? And what is the eternal reality that awaits us? John MacArthur in his helpful little book, The Pillar of Christian, The Pillars of Christian Character, which I highly commend to you. It's an old book. It's one of the ones that I read in college. And I went back to it this week to read his chapter on gratitude. He says this in that chapter on gratitude in the Christian life. As the message of saving grace spreads, it's as if each conversion adds a new member to the divine choir in which everyone is always overwhelmed with the attitude of thanks. Did you catch that? As the saving message or as the message of saving grace spreads, that is through the world. It's as if each conversion 
adds a new member to the divine choir in which everyone is always overwhelmed with an attitude of thanks. And that should be the norm for believers. It is so disappointing to be around professing Christians who always seem to be stressed out, dissatisfied, depressed, and generally unhappy about their circumstances. Instead, they ought to be following the scriptural pattern and giving thanks daily for God's great grace, end quote. John hits the nail on the head when it comes to the question of gratitude in our lives and the source for gratitude. You see, Paul could live out gratitude. He could command gratitude. And John could see gratitude in heaven because heaven and Paul's existence and what Paul demanded of the church was a place consumed with the grace of God. Consumed with it. It was the central thought. It was the focus of the attention. It was the driving motivation behind life. God's grace was smack dab in the front of Paul's face. And he expected it to be smack dab in the front of the church's face. And so I propose to you this morning that Christian gratitude, habitual Christian gratitude, is grounded in the character of the saving God toward desperate sinners namely ourselves, and its fruit is seen most when we're most mindful of His grace. In other words, if gratitude is to be a habitual activity for the Christian, a habitual attitude for the Christian, it will be because grace is the habitual meditation of the Christian. This drum will not stop beating, I trust and pray, from the pulpit of Grace Church for as long as there is a pulpit and there is a Grace Church. The gospel of Jesus Christ must be the driving center of your Christian life and of my Christian life. And so this morning, I want to take you to the Apostle Paul Not as a commander, not as the one sent by Christ, an apostle. Though he is that and he will operate as such this morning. But as an example of gratitude. And I want to do that from 1 Timothy chapter 1. I believe we'll find on the pages of 1 Timothy chapter 1. Or the page of 1 Timothy chapter 1. An example of one who is consumed by grace and therefore lives in habitual Christian gratitude, grounded in the character of the saving God toward desperate sinners, namely himself, the Apostle Paul. Since we're parachuting in to this letter, uh, we didn't start from the beginning. Um, We need to be careful to know where we are. Uh, Timothy is at Ephesus. You remember the Ephesian letter. Timothy's there. He's pastoring at Ephesus. Paul left him there. To set things in order. The church in Ephesus is in disarray. You'll remember in Acts chapter 20. The Apostle Paul met with the elders from the church at Ephesus. Their pastoral team came to Miletus. He met them at Miletus. And what he told them at Miletus has come true. As we've been studying in our PIT sessions. The elders at Ephesus have experienced now exactly what Paul told them was about to take place. Savage wolves have crept in from within. False teaching is running rampant through 
the church at Ephesus. And Timothy has been left there to set things in order. In fact, Paul tells him why he wrote this letter in chapter 3, verse 14. He says, Timothy, I hope to come to you soon, but I'm writing this letter to you, these things to you, so that if I delay, you may know, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and a buttress or a fortress of the truth. So that is the context in which we read this. Timothy is receiving this letter personally from Paul. He no doubt will read it to the church as well as a leader in the church. And Paul here takes it upon himself to set himself as an example to Timothy as a shepherd. And the example that we're going to examine this morning is one of habitual Christian gratitude. Let me read these few verses to you and notice them carefully with me as I read them out loud to you. Beginning in verse number 12. Beginning in verse number 12, Paul says, I thank him who has given me strength. Christ Jesus, our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service, though formerly I was a blasphemer persecutor, and insolent opponent. But I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief and the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Habitual Christian gratitude flows directly from the character of God as seen in His relationship to sinners. And his saving work in their lives. Habitual Christian gratitude flows from the very character of God. And in particular, his saving work towards sinners. Now with that in your mind, let's read these words one more time. And notice what Paul says in the first three words. I thank him. I thank him. I thank who? I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus, our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor and insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief and the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. This passage divides nicely into three sections that we're going to look at this morning. Three divisions, and they are causes for gratitude. Number one, we'll see the cause for gratitude in ever-present realities. Ever-present realities. Second cause for gratitude will be in past realities. And in the third cause for gratitude, we will find eternal Gifts that have been bestowed on the Apostle Paul. So as an example, as the Apostle stands as an example with his personal word of gratitude, he expresses three causes for gratitude. Present realities, past realities that have been overcome, and eternal gifts that have been bestowed upon him through Christ. And as always, all of Paul's perspective is wrapped around the person And the work of Jesus, who has been teaching us weekly from the parables in Matthew chapter 13. So let's begin then 
with the first cause for gratitude. We'll see three causes for gratitude. Then we'll come to our conclusion and we'll talk about application thoughts from gratitude. Cause number one for gratitude, ever-present realities. What is it that in the present Paul focuses on that draws his heart to thankfulness? Notice verse 12. His thankfulness flows first from the source of his strength. He identifies rightly the source of his strength. And because he sees his strength properly provided... He sees the one who gives him strength to do all that he does. And in, you know, obviously in the context of the apostle, he speaks directly to Timothy. And this is all about his ministry strength. Everything that is done in the apostle's life is done with strength that is supplied from someone else, which draws his heart to gratitude. And Right in the present experience of the apostle, as he as he pens this letter, he's mindful that strength that he experiences is not from himself. Therefore, gratitude is the natural response. That strength comes from the title in the middle of verse number 12. Christ Jesus, our Lord. Never miss the titles that are given to Jesus. Christ is the Greek version of the word Messiah. The promised one. It is the Greek equivalent to the Hebrew word for Messiah. The Messiah. Jesus. That is his earthly name. The incarnate son of God. And then Paul attaches himself to Timothy. As he will do throughout 1 Timothy. And he says our Lord. Our master. The one we serve. The Messiah. The promised one from heaven. Who is Jesus. The son of man and the son of God. Our Lord, who directs our steps, who commands our way, who sets out our path. He is the one who supplies my strength. Paul returns to this theme throughout his letters. If we backed up just a few pages in Philippians chapter 4, we find him focusing on the same source. Go back there if you would. Turn a few pages to Philippians chapter 4. Go left. If you're in First Timothy Go left and you'll find Philippians in just a moment. And find your way to one of the most familiar verses really in the Bible. Verse 13 of Philippians chapter 4 says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. All right, this is, this is the verse that Tim Tebow puts on his eyeshadow under his eyes for football games. All right, This is the verse that, that myriad of myriad of people have used on their dashboard or on their mirror or in their training regimen. And verse 13 says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Paul here identifies the exact same source of his strength. It is Christ himself. But much more deeply than winning football games or working a successful shift at your job, much more than simply getting through another day, what Paul says in verse 13 is that Jesus Christ, as the center of his life, makes strength available for him to live with nothing and for him to live with everything. You see, back up in verse number 10, Paul said, I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived 
your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. Now notice the situations. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all of these things. I can do either of those situations through Him who strengthens me. Paul was always mindful that the gospel provided him with a source of strength. Spiritual vitality. Spiritual energy. Through the Messiah, the Lord Jesus. And so in the present tense, the source of of strength is a cause for gratitude. Paul goes on in verse number 12 to show us yet another present tense cause for gratitude. I thank him who has given me strength. First Timothy one verse 12. Christ Jesus, our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. We find secondly that in the present, Paul is brought to gratitude. He's driven to gratitude By viewing his role in life, his circumstance in life, as a divine appointment from Christ. You say, why is it that I struggle so much to live in gratitude before God? Oh, maybe at Thanksgiving around the table, we'll say we're thankful for our family. We'll say we're thankful for the Bible. We'll say we're thankful for God. For his provision, for our wealth, for our abundance, for our health, for our family's health, for all the peripheral blessings. Why is it that we find ourselves struggling on a daily basis to see God and to live in gratitude toward God? I would propose through the example of the Apostle Paul that it is because we do not view our present tense as a present appointment to the service of Christ. You see, brothers and sisters, gratitude flows from a present awareness that my role, my existence, my life is an appointment to serve Christ. The gospel supplies grace for strength and it provides perspective for my circumstance. I am in my present situation as an appointment to serve Christ. The Apostle Paul had a very unique appointment. He was sent for Christ. He was a spokesman for Christ. He was a sufferer for Christ. He was one who was beaten for Christ. You say, what was the appointment that Paul experienced and found gratitude in? Go back in your Bibles further to the left, if you would, to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Let me give you a little glimpse into the appointment to serve Christ that Paul experienced. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. We've done this before and it's healthy for us to do it again. What life circumstance did Paul find himself in when he is thanking the God of heaven and living habitual gratitude? 2 Corinthians chapter 11, 
He's dealing with false apostles at Corinth who are claiming that he's an imposter. And so he addresses them in verse number 21 in the middle of that verse. But whatever anyone else dares to boast of, I'm speaking as a fool. I also dare to boast of that. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they offspring of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I'm a better one. I'm talking like a madman with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings, and often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes, minus one, which was law for Israelites. They could only be beaten thirty-nine times. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my own people, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers in toil and hardship through many a sleepless night in hunger and thirst, often without food in cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there's the daily pressure on me of the anxiety or the concern for all the churches. That's the appointment of the Apostle Paul in which he finds habitual gratitude. His present tense realities are that strength in his life is an evidence of Christ working in and through him. His experience in the present tense is that his circumstance, his reality, his world, if you will, is an appointment to serve Christ. And he is eternally grateful for that appointment. It's as if the, Paul, the, the Apostle Paul would say, beat me if it's for Christ. Imprison me if it's for Christ. My heart is filled with gratitude because strength comes from Christ and my appointment is to serve Christ. Now, why is it that those present realities are such a cause for gratitude? I believe if we go on, we find the second cause for gratitude is past realities overcome. The Apostle Paul can be grateful for strength and for an appointment because of what he knows from the past. Notice verse 13. Paul is aware of his past, though formerly, he says in verse 13, I was a blasphemer a persecutor, and an insolent opponent. That is of Jesus. We don't have time this morning to go and hear Paul share his own testimony from Acts chapter 26, verses 9 through 11, where he tells the king, King Agrippa, of who he was and of God's grace toward him. Why is it that Paul's gratitude is an habitual lifestyle? It's because it's well informed from his past. He knows who he was, which now informs how he sees what he is and causes him to look with anticipation to what will be. And gratitude flows from that heart. How mindful are you this morning of who you were? How mindful are we as a people of who we were before the gracious work of God on our behalf? Are you mindful of it? 
Are you thinking biblically about yourself? A biblical anthropology, that is the study of man. A biblical perspective on humanity leads to gratitude on the part of those who are being saved. Paul could say, oh, I've got a testimony. I was a blasphemer of Jesus Christ. I was a persecutor of all who were his And I was an insolent, I was a steadfast opponent of his cause. Is Romans chapter 3, verses 10 through 14, plastered on your heart to remind you of who you are? Paul was mindful. He had dramatic cause to remember. Being saved late in life, being saved on the Damascus Road, on his way to persecute the followers of Christ, the very Christ spoke to him. Say, I have no experience like that. I've never beaten a Christian. I've never gone seeking to persecute the church. Let me inform you or remind you of who you were and let your heart be turned to gratitude habitually. Romans chapter 3, verse 10 says, None is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside, together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave, they use their tongue to deceive. Their, the venom of asp is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery. And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Colossians tells us that before Christ, we were enemies of his hostile in mind. You were born an enemy of God, defiled in every way to the core. There is no part of you that was born without the presence and effects of sin. And in that sin, you were born completely set apart from the holy perfections of God. You were his enemy. And at the first moment possible, you acted upon your nature. And your heart was seen in your rebellion against him. This is our past universally. And Paul was mindful of his past. And the fruit of his heart was that he blasphemed, persecuted, and opposed Jesus Christ. That past and the The awareness of that past draws Paul's heart to gratitude that he now is a son of God. He's a son of God. He's an apostle of Jesus Christ. He's one who is strengthened by Christ, the Messiah and the Lord of his life. Gratitude flows from His well-informed thinking about his past. Often, often in talks with you during membership interviews, during discussions around kitchen tables, I hear the same testimony repeated. I had Christian parents. I have known the gospel since I was old enough to know anything. And at an early age, I gave my life to Jesus Christ. And on your membership application, it says... Who were you or what was true about you before Christ? 
And many of you have said, I don't really know. I can't remember. I think maybe I didn't clean my room occasionally. I cried during nap time several times. Uh, I don't know. I, I don't know. Well, the scriptures tell you. Whether you can remember or not, be informed in your thinking. Because gratitude flows from a, a, a mind that is informed about its past. This is who you were at six. This is who you were at seven. And those of you who came to Christ in your, in your 20s or your 30s or your 50s, you know the fruits of this. You were set apart. And now you've been brought near by the gracious work of God through the blood of His own Son at the cross. How can we complain? How can we gripe? How can we bicker when these are our realities? There are present realities in which we live with strength and appointment. Just like the Apostle Paul's example in 1 Timothy 1, there are past realities that have been overcome by the gospel, which draws our heart to praise and gratitude. And thirdly, we find in the second part of verse 13 and into 14, there are eternal gifts bestowed that are the third cause for gratitude in Paul. There are eternal gifts bestowed or granted. I mean, how many times we use the word bestowed? I don't think that's a common I don't. I don't know why I chose bestowed, okay? Given, granted, uh, placed upon us. We pick it up in the middle of verse 13. But, new sentence, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Paul has a well-informed perspective of his present circumstance, strength from Christ and appointment to serve Christ. And that means gratitude. Because who would have ever believed that that would be Paul's present circumstance? He has a well-informed thinking about the past which leads to gratitude because he knows who he was. And in seeing now, in light of his present, who would have ever believed this? This is to the praise of the glorious grace of God. And finally, Paul has an eternal perspective. He has a mindset for the future that is informed by the gospel. Notice the two eternal gifts that have been granted to Paul. Mercy and grace. He received mercy because he acted in unbelief ignorantly. That is, God was merciful to me because I was unaware. I was blinded to what I was doing. He showed mercy to me. That is, he withheld what I deserved. These are two very distinct theological terms. When we speak of the mercy of God, it is the eternal withholding of what is deserved for a sinner. There is new mercy every day from the throne room of God for His people. Every single day, Romans chapter 8 and verse 1 must come to mind. Now there is no condemnation. That is mercy. God is holding back His just wrath against us as sinners because we're covered in Christ. Paul was mindful of that eternal reality that mercy was his because God did not count his actions against him, but as ignorant unbelief, he was merciful toward him. 
Paul echoes the theme that we find first at Calvary. You remember at Golgotha, there is one who receives mercy at Calvary. Now, there are many who receive mercy from Calvary. All of us who are in Christ receive mercy from Calvary. But there is one who receives mercy at Calvary. Do you remember him? He's experiencing just punishment. He's on the one hand of Jesus Christ. And he's on a cross and he's dying. And he receives eternal mercy. Luke chapter 23 tells us of this story of Christ granting mercy. Mercy, when faced with the truth, the one who had lived his life in ignorant unbelief, that is the thief at the cross, received mercy from none other than Christ. Paul obeyed the heavenly vision as Christ was revealed to him. His eyes were opened. He heard with ears that could hear. He believed with a heart that could respond, granted by God's grace to him and mercy was his eternal gift. Secondly, in verse number 14, we find not only was mercy eternally granted to Paul, but grace, grace, grace of our Lord, grace that flows from our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. If mercy is God's withholding of what is justly do if he holds back what we deserve grace is him pouring out on us what we don't deserve and paul was mindful of the eternal existence of both in his conversion paul was aware that for for eternity the wrath of god was withheld and poured out on christ and god's grace was lavished on him notice the language that paul uses here The English does not do it justice. He says in verse 14, the grace of our Lord overflowed for me. Overflowed for me. Overflowed is is a Greek construction where words are stacked up on each other. It's a way of Paul saying super duper. Over and abundant. More and more. I got more and more grace. I got most, most grace. I mean, he's using doubled words to say, I can't put into words the personal grace that I've received for eternity through our Lord. This was Paul's eternal perspective. Grace abounded more than his sin. And because of the mercy we find in the end of verse 13, that was Paul's eternal perspective gift and because of the grace that is the lavish love and care and kindness of God on a sinner that we find in verse 14 notice what is true Paul says and the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus he was granted a new heart he was granted a new heart. And so are you, beloved, if you're here this morning and you're in Christ, the eternal fruit of grace overflowing to you is faith and love that comes in the person of Jesus Christ, from the person of Jesus Christ, and is directed toward the person of Jesus Christ. And Paul's new existence was the direct result of the eternal grace 
granted to him. One of my favorite pastors in my life, Kent Hughes, longtime pastor of College Church in Wheaton, Illinois, says a grace life soars on love and faith. Paul is personally thankful, thankful for his salvation, thankful for his apostleship, thankful for mercy, thankful for grace, thankful for faith, thankful for love. This was the habitual life of the Apostle Paul. And I trust it stands as an example to us. And in that example, a call to us to consider rightly our own existence. What is true in the present has everything to do with what is true about you in the past. And what is true in the past and the present looks forward, I trust, in Christ with hope toward eternity. Because mercy is flowing and grace is flowing and a new heart has been created. Are you informed? Are you informed today? Did you come today informed of God's grace? Did you wake this morning mindful of His grace? Did you wake yesterday morning mindful of His mercy? His withholding of His wrath and giving it to His Son and His grace which His Son deserves being poured out on you. His loving favor. Do I marvel? And do you marvel at what God has done, is doing, and will continue to do in us? Is gratitude the habit of your life? Gratitude is nothing more than gospel-informed praise. That's all it is. It's gospel-informed praise. And so, yes, we can say, I'm thankful for my church. I'm thankful for my house. I'm thankful for my vehicle. I'm thankful for my family. I'm thankful for my Bible in English. I'm thankful for the benefits uh, of my life, of the joys and the blessings of my life. And we can also say, I'm thankful for the trial. I'm thankful for the sickness. I'm thankful for the suffering. I'm thankful for the persecution. Why? Because our thankfulness is grounded, must be grounded, in the character of a God who graciously saves sinners. It's a steadfast rock that we hold to when our gratitude is grounded in Christ. He doesn't move. His grace never gets old. His mercy never tires. We are just slow to meditate and to think upon the gospel. Therefore, we are slow to gratitude. So what? What are the applications for us? Let me encourage you to do two things by way of application. Psalm 107 verse 43 says, Whoever is wise, let him attend to these things. Let him consider the steadfast love of the Lord. So let me, let me encourage you toward two starter applications. And the Spirit of God will apply this text to your life individually. I trust because that is his job and his work. He's faithful to do it. Number one, take spiritual inventory of God's gracious work. Do it this week like you've never done it. Take spiritual inventory of God's gracious work. Write it out. Journal it. Talk about it. When people say, are you, are you grateful? Aren't you grateful for your blessings? Say, I am grateful for my blessings. And in particular, specifically, we're going to go. We're going to go beyond the superficial here. We're not going to talk about blessings. I'm thankful. I'm thankful that my sins 
will never be counted against me. I am grateful for blessings. I'm thankful that I'll never experience the wrath of God because I have a substitute. I'm thankful for my substitute. I'm thankful for the gospel. And secondly, preach the gratitude inducing gospel to yourself freshly this Thanksgiving. Preach the gratitude inducing gospel to yourself freshly this Thanksgiving. Say, why? Why is gratitude such a natural fruit? And why is it a part of the life of the redeemed? Paul goes on at the end of this paragraph to say, I received mercy for this reason, that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. To the king of ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. The answer to why is that gratitude on behalf of sinners toward the character of God in his gracious work of saving them is a means of glorifying his name. It glorifies his name to those around us and it will glorify his name from now and forevermore. This will be the song of heaven. Worthy is the lamb. Gratitude will be the song of heaven. So take spiritual inventory. Take stock of who you truly are. If you're in Christ this morning. And allow that to motivate and to generate. And to induce gratitude from your heart. Secondly. Preach the gospel. The gratitude inducing gospel to yourself freshly. For the glory of of God this Thanksgiving holiday. So this is becoming a broken record. Gratitude is not a holiday. It's a habit for the Christian who is rightly informed about the character of God and his saving work towards sinners, namely yourself. Father, thank you for this word from you. Thank you for the testimony, the living, breathing, fleshly, struggling, sinner example of your apostle, Paul. May we not be pushed away by his stature and your appointment of him to service his faithfulness that you have not overlooked. May we not be pushed away and to think of him as something other than a sinner saved by grace, informed in his thoughts, informed in his heart, resulting in gratitude toward you. May we learn from his example. May we be provoked by his example. And may we be led by his example. Father, teach us to think rightly about our present circumstance. Strength flowing from your son. Appointment from you to serve your son. Teach us to look back with accuracy. To see spiritual truths about our past that we might rightly appreciate and freshly appreciate daily. The saving gospel of Jesus Christ. 
And may that fill our minds with the eternal gifts that have been granted to us in Him. Mercy from You. Grace from You resulting in love and faith from new hearts transformed by You. May it be to the praise and the thanks toward You, Father. May Your Son be exalted. May our knees bow readily and often to confess that He is Lord. and He is our all in all. And may the fruit of Your Spirit's work in us, the One who is present with us, may it be evident to all. We'll give You praise. In Jesus' name, Amen.